Welcome everyone to the Yoga Liberty Podcast. This is the podcast for people who want to become yoga teachers and people who are yoga teachers and need a little bit of abundance and thriving in their life. I've been a yoga teacher for 17 years. I've been practicing for 37 years. I've worked with over 10,000 students many, many years in many places in many countries and many cities. And I'm super glad that you're here. I'm excited to invite you into this community. All I ask is that if you get some benefit today, that you share this podcast with someone else who can also use the benefit. All right, let's get right into it. Thank you for joining. Are you a yoga teacher searching for the perfect platform to host your online classes, workshops, and trainings? Well, look no more. Offering Tree is an affordable one-stop solution for yoga teachers who want to create an online presence, capture emails, create offers, and sell online classes and courses. Offering Tree is specifically focused on the needs of yoga teachers because it was made by yoga teachers for yoga teachers. I use it myself. Use the link offeringtree.com slash Angelica and receive a discount of 50% off on your first three months of a monthly plan or 15% off your first year on an annual plan. That's up to $88 off, which is some pretty good karma, I think. I'll leave the link in the description below or visit offeringtree.com slash Angelica to get started online today. Welcome everyone to the Yoga Library Podcast. I'm Angelica. I'm super excited to have you here today. And I'm really excited that my friend Julie has joined. She is a relationship coach. She has a master's in communications with an emphasis on interpersonal communication. She is a veteran with the Air Force. She was six years in the Air Force. And she is the founder of Couples Club Hub, an affordable monthly membership program for anyone in a remote romantic relationship. I'm super excited that Julie's here today. We're going to be talking about a topic called brahmacharya or sexual responsibility. Uh, in, in history, it has typically been called um, abstinence, but since probably that's not something that most modern people do, we tend to, as yogis, change that and make it to be sexual responsibility. Now that is a whole nother conversation, whether or not brahmacharya should be still abstinence or if it should be sexual responsibility. Today, we're going to focus on the idea of sexual responsibility and what that means. And that is why Julie is here today. Thank you so much for joining, Julie. Of course. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. So um, just to get started, what does sexual responsibility mean to you? So for me, I think that sexual responsibility means that you are responsible for your own sexual pleasure. And I know that this can be kind of a controversial topic for some because people believe that their partner is responsible for making them happy. And that's just in relationships in general as they show up and they expect that their partner is going to make them happy. So if their partner doesn't make them happy anymore, well, then they think the relationship's over and they need to move on. So when we're talking about um, <clears throat> sexual responsibility, I believe that it's your, your responsibility, our own responsibility um, to take care of our own sexual pleasure. And I don't mean that in terms of like independently taking care of your own sexual pleasure separate from your partner. You can, this is still a partner experience, but it means that like, 
you know, just because there's an erect penis in the room doesn't mean that you're responsible for the erect penis. And it also means that like, when it comes down to like, whether or not you are enjoying sex or your sex life, that is your own responsibility. If you're not enjoying it, that's not just on your partner to fix. That is something that you yourself need to be asking yourself some questions, maybe pursuing a new skill set so that you can enjoy your own sex life. Wow, that is really super interesting and not at all the direction that I thought we were going to (laughs) go. But that's because, uh, like many people, I have a lot of shame around sexuality. And I think that yoga, as the eight limbs of yoga describes it, also puts shame into sexuality in a way. The ideology of brahmacharya comes from holding back sexual pleasure so that we can create more energy within our body so that we can get deeper into meditation. But I also think that it plays into the ideology of shame, which is super prevalent in our society. And we have to admit that not everything is the way that it was thousands of years ago when Patanjali's students wrote down the yoga sutras. So obviously we have modern things and and modern issues that we're working on and sexual pleasure is a part of that. And taking the shame away from that, I think is really important. And so I'm actually really glad that this is the direction that you decided to take the interpretation of brahmacharya with um, is the idea of sexual pleasure, because it's something that consistently, I grew up Catholic. So consistently through my life, I've been shamed about sexual pleasure. And I think that I'm not, I, I would feel that the listeners, I'm probably not alone in that. No, and I, I'm not either. I grew up in a Christian household, Southern Baptist. Actually, I had, my mom was Southern Baptist. My dad uh, was Lutheran. So it's like a little bit, um, a little bit different there, um, but both very religious and both very um, kind of closed off in terms of talking about sex. I mean, very lock-lipped on the subject. And um, I grew up believing that you can't have sex until you're married. Um, I was very like just virgin with a capital V and just super, super, super off limits on any sexual topics the whole time that I was growing up. Um, And I was afraid to ask questions. I didn't have anyone to ask questions to. Uh, Internet wasn't really big back then. So there was no way to like really self-educate. Um, I remember having a sex ed class in high school and I was really excited because I was like, oh my gosh, somebody is actually finally going to talk to me about sex. We're finally going to learn in an environment where I don't have to be ashamed because everybody's going to be learning the same stuff. And it was was a lot of really, really horrible graphic images of STDs, Um, like really, really, really bad pictures that, yeah, learned that, that stayed in my brain for sure. Um, But I... uh, the only actual like sex education that I felt like I got out of that was how to put a uh, condom on a banana. And that was like the, the limit of the expertise that I got in that class. And, um, and I just think that it's a shame that there is so much shame around this subject. And it, it ends up, even once you get to a place, like when I got married, where I, you know, I should have felt like fully free then to be my sexual self. I had spent so many decades, literally decades of being ashamed of sex and feeling like this was a taboo subject and feeling like this was like uh, something that we don't talk about. This is hush hush. Like, 
that I was uncomfortable even having conversations with my partner about sex, even though like that is my partner. Um, I was uncomfortable with, you know, exploring what I like and what I don't like and what I'm comfortable with and what I'm not comfortable with. And, you know, those are questions that, that we need to be asking ourselves if we are taking responsibility for our own sexual pleasure. Um, and so it is, it is something that when I work with individuals who are struggling with their sex life, there is almost always some level of the shame that you're talking about in their, in their history regarding sex. How do you think we start to bridge the gap there? Like, how do we start to let go of that shame and embrace our divine sexuality? I think that, I think that this starts with a lot of self-awareness and also just recognizing that like you are a an energetic being you are a sexual being and like that that pleasure is like your divine right that is something that like you you get just for being human like that is not something that you should be ashamed of and if you can kind of let go of that limiting belief long enough to start asking yourself the questions that are going to lead to your own pleasure, that is like the, the starting point, the starting point to really amazing sex and a really fulfilling sex life is, is being able to let go of that limiting belief where sex is a shameful subject. And that was really hard for me, even as a relationship coach. I mean, even once I got comfortable talking to my partner about sex, you know, then it turned into me talking to others about sex. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm talking about sex on the internet. <laughs> and, like, um, and so that kind of uh, threw me for a loop for a little while. But then I saw like, what a difference this is making in people's lives to, to, you know, really start exploring this part of themselves and learning skills that like, um, not only increase their pleasure, but also their partner's pleasure, and then can actually enhance, rebuild, and heal the connection between themselves and their partner. So I let go of that. I let go of that a long time ago, and um, and I'm happy to talk about it now. How? What if your partner is not ready to let go of their shame? What if they're holding on to shame? How do you start to? Um, work with them to make them comfortable and kind of open up to the idea that you're, that you're trying to change too. Yeah. One of my, um, one of my most like core beliefs when it comes to relationships is that we should be inspiring change and not requiring change. Um, and the reason for that is, is that the more that we try to push somebody, the more that we're going to push them away. And so mm. if we're telling people like, you have to do this, you need to do this. Or we're trying to like control them to do exactly what we want them to do. Nobody wants to feel controlled. Nobody does. And if you think about like, if anybody tries to control you, it's probably something that you're like, heck with that. And you move away from really fast. So this is a very sensitive subject for a lot of couples. Um, and it can be a very vulnerable spot when you're trying to like express your desires or your wants or your needs with your partner. And they do feel that shame and they're closed off to it and they just want to shut down. So my approach to that is like the more that the more that you can get in touch with what you want sexually and what is pleasurable to you, um, then the, then you're one, you're going to know that and you're going to be able to start expressing that to your partner in loving ways and kind ways, even just saying like, Ooh, I like that. And something that like encourages them to understand, like that is something that you find pleasurable. 
um, they'll start picking up on what you're doing. And, and I think along the way, that's just kind of a natural response, not just in sex, but just in relationships in general is what I call relational mirroring. We are mimicking creatures like that is just genetically in us. That is, that is something that we do as humans. It's the reason that you can like um, yawn and then the people around you will start yawning. It's a, uh, we are mirroring creatures. And so like, if you start to introduce a new behavior, um, a new type of, uh, yeah, I'm going to go with behavior in a relationship, then it tends to be mirrored by your partner. Eventually, if you apply it with consistency, I'm not saying if you show up today and you start talking about sex, your partner is immediately going to, you know, respond to that and be exactly where you need them to be. But if you're consistently showing up and talking about sex in a loving way, or, you know, telling, expressing your desires to them or encouraging them when you're having sex, then I think you're going to start seeing some of those same behaviors being mirrored back to you. Awesome. Awesome. That's really very helpful. What are some ways that you can take charge of your own sexual pleasure? Well, I think that that really starts with a little bit of self-exploration, self-talk, self-awareness. Um, so with, with the exploration, like I do encourage people to be familiar with their own bodies. You need to be familiar with like, what sensations do you find to be pleasurable? You know, maybe there's certain areas of your body you want to be touched and there's other areas you don't want to be touched. Maybe there's certain types of positions that are comfortable for you. Others that are not, um, things that you're comfortable with during sex, you know, maybe, different locations or, or use of toys or things like that. Like, what do you like? What do you not like? So part of it is just, you know, creating your own map, your own like sexual map of like what you're comfortable with and what you're not, what do you find pleasurable and what do you not? Um, and then I think also like sexual education, what I call modern sex ed, which is like the sex ed class that we wish we had gotten the sex ed <laughs> class the school doesn't reveal to you, which is, you know, if you, if you're bored with your sex life and you're not really enjoying yourself, then, you know, you need to change things up. There's so many different ways that you can do this. There's so much variety out there. And so like, if you're, you're not super happy with the sex life that you're having, then we need to start introducing some other things or increasing your sexual skill set because sex is a skill set. And some people, you know, they don't even understand like, all the different erogenous zones that are on themselves or their partner. I mean, it, we need to start there. And then from there, like um, other ways that we can start introducing, you know, maybe different locations that you could be having sex or different toys or devices that you can use to kind of spice things up or um, different, like I said, skills. So positions, techniques, things that are going to make sex even more pleasurable. Um, if you, you know, if you grew up with that shame type mentality, you probably haven't pursued any of that type of sexual education. And me, my, myself, like I'm not comfortable looking at things that have, you know, someone else's nude body parts in them. Okay. I'm not going to be watching pornography to learn about sex. I'm not going to be watching, you know, any type of nude body parts. I just don't want to do it, but there's still other ways to learn about sex that are you know, cleaner than that, if that's what you're comfortable with, which is, that's what I wanted, um, where you can still learn, like I said, techniques and positions without having to look at anyone else's body parts. And I encourage people to, to look at things like that. That's what I teach. Um, and that's what I want to help people with, because if you can improve your sexual skill set, I think you're going to really, really start enjoying your sex life more. 
Wow. Wow. That's really, and that's really intense. Uh, how do you, how do you learn that? Where do you get the knowledge where if you, you know, if it's not from, you know, porn, how do you, how do you get that knowledge? Where do you, are there books? <laughs> um, well, if you're watching this podcast, you can go to couplesclubhub.com because I do, um, I do teach how to increase physical intimacy between you and your partner. Then my other recommendation would be, yes, you can, um, you can learn from books. There's a lot of like, like Kama Sutra type of books that'll show you diagrams of positions without actually like showing you nude body parts. I actually really enjoy going to Cosmopolitan Magazine's website because they have a lot, they have a lot of really great material there um, that again, doesn't have nude body parts. So like, oh, I really funny. enjoy reading their like tips and tricks. Um, and then just different places around the internet. There's a, there is a website, I think it's called like normal. It's normal.com. I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. And it's, um, it's a website for sex toys <laughs> but they but it's just the toys themselves and then they have like sex lessons on there um that again yeah. are very are very clean as well so um it's just what i've found over the years as i've been trying to grow my own sex skill set um where i've i've found a lot of resources like that that have been very uh very enlightening um and super enjoyable what, so tell us a little bit more about, you mentioned Couples Club Hub, and this is your, um, your membership site where people can get information about relationships and get some relationship coaching. Tell us a little bit more about what's inside of there, um, because it sounds really interesting. Thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so couples club hub is, a, it's an affordable monthly membership because I had a lot of people who wanted to work with me and they just couldn't afford private one-on-one -on -one coaching. So I, um, I created this membership for anyone to be able to be a part of it. Um, it's actually currently only $7 a month. It's a total steal. Yeah. The first 100 people get it for $7 a month. That's really incredible. Yes, exactly. And, um, and there's even a free one week trial. So you can come in and you can look around and see what you think. Um, but this is for any individual that's in a romantic relationship. This is an ever growing library of relationship resources. So it's not just about sexual intimacy. I talked about emotional intimacy, how to break the argument cycle, how to communicate with your partner so that you feel seen and heard, um, how to inspire the change like we were talking about earlier, and how to, how to get on the same page, even if you have completely opposing points of view. Um, something that a lot of people resonate with me for is that I, I'm vegan, but my partner's not vegan. I didn't, we've been married wow. for, yeah. And yeah. so and that's, that's hard, right? Like you're, yeah, I'm vegan. And my partner is 95% vegan because I don't let there be any meat in the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't do, um, we don't do egg gluten or dairy in the house, but, um, but my husband still has meat, but even then like he likes vegan meals. And so he only has it like a few times a week, just by, just well, by choice. The trade-off is, is that I've, I do all the cooking. Yeah. So, and uh, you know, it, that actually puts a lot extra on my plate, but then I get to eat healthy foods that I like and yeah. he doesn't care cause he doesn't have to cook them. So he's like, great. I, I follow a lot of, um, I don't know if you've heard of her high carb Hannah, mm -hmm. um, that, that I've tried a lot of different diets and I think you have to try a lot of different things, but that particular one works really well for me. 
I lose weight on that. I feel full. Uh, it's based off of Dr. McDougall's the starch solution, but that's so I make all those meals and then Paul eats them and he doesn't even know that there's no oil and no dairy and you know he's like oh okay whatever and then sometimes I splurge on Miyoko's creamery. <laughs> I love Miyoko's. I yeah I try to eat whole foods as much as possible, but you know I still eat what I consider vegan junk food from time to time. Um, I do the same thing as you. I do most of the cooking here. Brandon does cook some meals. Um, but the arrangement that we have is if he wants meat, he cooks it himself. I don't cook meat. It doesn't align with my core values, but I respect him and where he's at and I accept him for where he's at. And so if he wants to cook meat, that's fine, but that's on him. And so that, that's also, I think where, you know, he does mm -hmm. less of that. Um, yeah. but this is where we were talking earlier about inspiring change in your partner. He feels better eating more plants. Like he feels mm -hmm. better eating less of that stuff. And so, um, he's just naturally kind of come in line to eating mostly plant-based breakfasts and lunches, um, eating, you know, mostly vegan meals throughout the week. And then he still has meat from time to time. So, um, yeah. I Paul, the same, like he mostly eats vegan. He does feel better, but I, on the other hand, will say things like, when he gets, you know, a chicken quesadilla, I'll be like, oh, you're just making a graveyard out of your body. Oh, <laughs> so the way I approach is like with our kids, even because our kids eat for sure, vegan mm. breakfasts and lunches, mostly um, dinners. My one, my youngest son, he will now say for every single meal, except for Chipotle, he really loves barbacoa at Chipotle. But other than that, he will say, you know, I choose to save the animals. I choose to save the animals. <laughs> and so that's the way we approach it is like, I'm not, you know, I'm trying not to be judging and just accepting people where they're at. And that includes my husband. But every time you choose to eat plants instead of meat, you're saving animals. And I, and I commend you for it. I thank you for it. I, I, I praise you for it because, you know, more animals got to live today. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Well, and our, we just didn't mate. We didn't create animals to kill you yeah. know but chip i was gonna say chipotle has now come out with a chorizo chorizo yeah. so there's still hope so good. there's still hope so good. but to get back on topic so um how do sexual expectations hurt relationships um yeah i think that this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning where you know we as a culture have kind of fed this idea that our partners are responsible for making us happy. And that can be really challenging. Um, like I said, if you're talking about like the erect penis in the room and you feel like it's your responsibility to take care of them and to make sure that they orgasm and to make sure that they're pleasured and that they're taken care of, um, those are really high expectations. And I mean, yikes, like what happens, what happens if they don't? Um, and that can, that can really cause a lot of division in the relationship. If you don't have the same sex drive, if you don't have, um, you know, the, the, maybe you're not at the point that you're comfortable with oral sex yet. And if you're not willing to do it, that can cause division in the relationship. And so these expectations that you're going to do this for me just because that's what I want um, is now setting our partner up for failure because if they don't actually meet those needs, now we've created like crisis mode because our, we're not getting our needs met through the relationship. Instead of recognizing that we're responsible for our own needs, we're responsible for our own happiness. I, 
I believe that we as a couple can enhance each other's happiness. Um, and I'm happy to do that. I want to pleasure my partner. Okay. And I, I think that, you know, the more feedback he gives me on what he decides is pleasurable, the more feedback that I give him on what I believe is pleasurable, that allows us to enhance each other's happiness. But I don't, I don't hold him responsible for meeting my needs. That's my responsibility. So I'm going to throw something at you. Um, (laughs) what if if for most, for the majority of women, we've experienced trauma around sexuality and what if someone has experienced trauma around sexuality, how, how do we start to heal from that so that we can then express divine sexuality? Yeah. Um, so I think with any kind of trauma and not just sexual trauma, like emotional trauma, physical trauma, this is something that um, if you, if you look at triggers, like triggers in a relationship, if somebody says something that sets you off or, or something happens that sets you off, that is rooted in some kind of trauma that happened in your past. That's almost always the case. And so um, actually, you know, part of what I teach is how we turn negative triggers into positive triggers, because just like you can trigger negativity, you can trigger positivity. So if we're looking at a negative trigger regarding sexual trauma, then we need to look at how do we, how do we take that trigger and resolve that traumatic experience working on that and then create a positive trigger with it where we can, we can then move that in a different direction. Um, so if somebody's dealt with sexual trauma in their past, and like you were saying, that is a lot of people that's going to create those limiting beliefs that we were talking about earlier, where they feel shame about it, or maybe they feel fear or anger or rage. Like there's going to be other emotions that are triggered from that traumatic experience. And, um, one of the ways that we can start to resolve a trigger is by creating space Um, from when we feel that trigger being triggered. And that really comes from like an awareness level of that emotional energy in your body, that pattern of energy in your body. So let's say, um, Justin's is an example, how, how do you feel anger? Like if you go back to the last moment you were really angry, what did that feel like in your body? Like maybe you felt tightness in your chest. Maybe you felt like a pulling in the pit of your stomach or you felt your muscles tense or your jaw clenches or something. It's different for everybody. For me, I get really flush when I'm angry. My chest gets hot and red. And that's just like how I know I'm angry. But when you've, when you've really done the work to like recognize these patterns of energy in your body, you can, you can feel it instantly that shift where you're like, okay, this is anger. And then you can create an internal pause in that you have like couple seconds to recognize this is a thought, not a feeling. We culturally have created this like um, idea that, and I, I still say it myself, I'll say, I feel that, okay? But what comes after those words isn't necessarily a feeling, it's a thought, okay? It's not the same thing. So when we say, I feel that, and we're expressing that to someone else, it's probably more likely that it's a thought. We have a moment when that thought comes in our head to create space, pause for a few brief seconds and try to try to step back as a third party observer and look at this and say, is this really what's happening? You know, sexual trauma, for instance, is my partner responsible for this? Is this, is this actually what's happening right now? Or is my brain being triggered by something that happened over here instead? 
because then if we can create like a third party response to it, it's going to be able to help us process that moment so that we're not jumping back into the past and living there. It creates like a more mindful moment where we can actually be present with our partner and what's happening in this moment. So I hope that helps. It's a much bigger subject. Yeah, than- yeah, yeah, yeah. We could almost like do a whole session on that. And maybe you'll come back and talk to me again um, about another topic that would be awesome because this has been a really great conversation. And I feel like after talking to you, there is so much value in your membership, uh, the Couples Club Hub. I can't believe it's like a steal. That's an insane price. And, and if you're listening to this, and it's been months later and the price has gone up because you're not one of the first 100 people. It is what it is. I still get people that are like, contact me like your book's not free. I'm like, well, it was free the first month. That was two years ago, you know? <laughs> right, yeah. Now it's $7, just pay the $7. It's not very much money. I got to pay for my server. I can't just give you free stuff forever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but- <laughs> I can build. I can build. <laughs> the electric company is not giving me free. Well, actually that's a lie because we're on solar. So we don't pay, we paid one time for solar and now we'll never pay for electric again. But um <laughs> That was not a good analogy in my life, but anyhow, um, I so appreciate you coming on today. This has been a really great conversation and, um, I hope that a lot of people go and check out the couplesclubhub.com, uh, reach out to you on Instagram, which is currently best marriages ever. Best ever marriages, best ever best marriages. Ever. And then great. Julie, could you. Could you just do your last name again for me? Because she's actually very famous on TikTok. So, uh, and it's her name. So Julie. It's julie.teefteller. Um, fun fact, my maiden name was Beer Bomb. So I didn't exactly like. Whoa. I know, right? I tried to get it to take my name. Like, so it's like, come on. That's like the coolest name ever. Um, anyway. <laughs> it's it, never Teller. happening. <laughs> Teeth teller is cool too. It's fine. I just never simplified. Um, so it, my uh, TikTok, yeah, TikTok. It's at Julie.teefteller. So it's Julie, J U L I E, dot. And my last name is T E F F as in Frank, E T E L L E R. Awesome. So super exciting. She puts out really great content on both Instagram and on TikTok. I really, she puts a lot of time and effort into her mini videos. They are super good. They're really great. Very informative and definitely check out couplesclubhub.com. It is really, uh, you get way more than you pay for. So that is overvalue 100%. Thank you so much for coming on today, Julie. I really appreciate you. Thanks for having me. This has been really great.